Logan, you hit the button. Sup, freaks. It's your boy Marty here to introduce this rip of TFTC. I should also check out Unchained Capital. Right down the hall from us here at the Bitcoin Commons. They're draining the exchanges until September 8th. It's running a special promo. If you uh, set up a vault, they're waiving the $1,000 um, automatic buy of the Bitcoin to set up a vault. They're offering it for $250 now. This white glove concierge service is going to take you from zero to having a two or three multi-sig setup of which you hold two keys. If you use the code TFTC, you're going to get $50 off that $250 concierge service. Um, they're also offering um, a lower onboarding fee for their IRA product as well. 250 as well. If you use the code TFTC, you're going to get $50 off that too. I don't want to say as well too many times in a row. Um, go to unchained.com slash concierge to check this all out. And if you have a single point of failure in your custody model, you're holding on your Bitcoin on an exchange or in a single SIG wallet, Unchained is here to help you eliminate those single points of failure. Unchained.com slash concierge. Use the code TFTC. This trip is also brought to you by our good friends at Brains. We're a few days away from slush pool transitioning to brains pool. Um, and I actually wrote the forward to a Bitcoin mining handbook that the brands brains team wrote. Uh, very honored to have done this. Go to brains.com, check out everything they have going on. Uh, they help you idiot proof your mining operation. If you have an ASICs that is compatible with their brains OS plus firmware, which allows you to download a new firmware on your ASIC and make it more efficient and al uh, allow you to produce more hashes, which then allows you to pro produce more sats. Uh, again, it idiot proofs your mining operation. If you have an ASIC that's compatible with Brains OS Plus and you're not using it, you're an idiot because you're leaving sats on the table. Only idiots do that. Don't do that. Go to brains.com, B R A I I N S.com. Uh, check out the firmware if it's compatible with your ASIC. Download it. Check out Brains Pool. Check out Brains Insights. Check out the books that they're producing, the content they're producing. Incredible team. This was also brought to you by our good friends at HODL HODL. HODL HODL is here to bring you a lending platform with no KYC, no AML. It's peer-to-peer. -peer. What you do is you put your Bitcoin up as collateral on a two or three multi-sig escrow. You hold one key, your counterparty in the loan holds one key, and HODL HODL holds the third key. Um, you don't have control over the Bitcoin, obviously, since you only have one key in that two or three quorum. However, you have visibility into the loan, so you know your sats aren't being rehypothecated as long as you're paying back your uh, loan plus the interest associated with it, you're going to get your sats back at the end of the day. Bitcoin is collateral. You get stable coins in return. Peer-to-peer, -peer, no KYC, no AML. Go to lend.hodlhodl.com. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Upstream Data. Upstream Data is here to take care of all your mining needs. If you're an at-home miner, they have their black boxes. You put a couple miners in and it takes the noise from to great for the sound. Your wife doesn't like the sound. Your HOA doesn't like the sound. You buy a bo black box. You put your ASICs in the black box and it takes care of the sound. Also takes care of the heat. It's going to make sure that your miners don't crap out from, from being too hot. They've got good airflow. Uh, go to shop.upstreamdata.ca to check out the black box. If you use the code FREAKS, F-R-E-A-K-S, you're going to get 5% off the black box. They're also selling uh, bigger more industrial size mining uh, containers. Uh, if you're in the oil field, you're sitting on some pretty profits. You're looking to diversify into Bitcoin mining. ASICs are pretty cheap. And then upstream data is there for all your needs. They build the data centers, they build the generators, uh, and they can acquire the miners for you. So go to upstreamdata.ca to check that out. Tell them that TFTC sent you. If you do do some inquiry into their hash shots, I'm a hash shot customer. I have a 50 kilowatt hash shot uh, that has been running flawlessly since I plugged it in. 
uh, in the beginning of this year. Uh, incredible product, incredible team, really helping to distribute hash rate and empower power producers, whether you're a utility company or an upstream oil and gas company, to turn your wasted assets, whether it be excess electricity or stranded natural gas, into Bitcoin. Upstreamdata.ca. Enjoy this, Rip Freaks. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. All right, we're recording, Tracy. What the hell is going on in the world? Are we? Hey, <laughs> how are you doing? Doing well. I'm uh, on a back deck uh, with a bit of wind behind me, so please excuse the uh, the wind sound freaks. And Tracy just moved in to a new house uh, and is, is waiting for the furniture to arrive. So I'm in my kitchen. So. <laughs> I was saying, beautiful kitchen. I love I love the blue cabinets. They they accent the the room well. Um, but you're, I mean, I'm very excited to have you on the show right now and I'm happy actually we had to delay it a week because a lot has happened since last Wednesday when we were originally slated to record. Oh my uh, God, it's gone off the rails, off the rails, especially in, in Europe, especially this morning. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I haven't been paying attention this morning. I've been in calls all morning. Yesterday was pretty crazy. You had Ecuador come out and basically war in the European Union that there was $1.5 trillion uh, worth of a liquidity crunch that was going to force energy traders to get margin called. Uh, and they were essentially saying that the energy traders need to bail out right now. We had the UK with Prime Minister Truss taking the helm and immediately trying to enact price controls on electricity within the United Kingdom. And uh, obviously we have the, the war waging on between Russia and Ukraine and Russia essentially weaponizing their, their gas in reaction to the West weaponizing our monetary and payment systems. What are you saying? You haven't been on the show. What you missed today is um, Russia came out reiterating the fact that they're, um, they will cut off anybody that enacted price caps on oil, gas, coal, you name it, any kind of energy form. And then hours later, um, the EU came out and said, we're going to enact price caps on gas. Yeah. And then also use the term that they're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to curb energy usage to flatten the curve. Well, unquote, <laughs> started getting PTSD. Yeah. I saw that. I saw that. I did catch that uh, von der Leyen coming out and saying they need to flatten the uh, the demand curve for energy at particular right. points of the day. You know, we're seeing that here in the United States too, in California right now. But let's let's focus in on price controls. I mean, if you have any sense of history or any understanding of basic economics, price controls never work. So how are uh, the United Kingdom and the European Union planning on actually enacting these controls, and will they or will they not work? They will not work. Um, the EU right now is, um, they are, their price cap is at 
200 euros per megawatt instead of, I think it's trading at like 450 right now. The problem, and that's for non-gas electricity. The problem is that once you enact those price controls, that you're, you know, you're taking away profits from a company, first of all, and it completely disincentivizes them to produce more or seek out other alternative forms of energy um, because you're capping them off at the knees, basically. So, um, you know, that never works. It's a horrible long-term strategy. As far as the UK is concerned, they're talking about more of a, a stimulus plan where um, it's like $130 billion worth of stimulus to companies and um, to the public. So that's not as bad, but you know, it's still, it doesn't curb demand. That's, that said, Trust did come out today and say she wanted to um, expand drilling in the North Sea and to pursue nuclear power. So that was actually, I was kind of very shocked because that actually does make sense. So let's hope that they can uh, pursue that path and things should ease up for the UK if they can actually enact that and you know, they get every member of parliament to back them up on that. So that looks a little bit brighter than, than what the EU is currently doing. Yeah, I mean, that is encouraging to see, but is it too little too late to begin right. drilling in the North Sea and spinning up nuclear power plants? I think this is the problem that a lot of these politicians are going to run into in the coming months is when push comes to shove and it's blatantly obvious that they're very short energy assets, they're going to try and throw money at the problem, but you can't uh, print dollars and produce gas in a very short amount of time. Well, exactly. I mean, there's always that lag between, you know, we're going to enact this plan and then to when it comes to fruition and you can actually get wells to start producing. So, you know, or build nuclear plants, et cetera. So, of course, it's too little too late, but at least perhaps it saves them in the long run. Yeah, we'll see. That's the, like, do you think this is this whole scenario that's playing out where it seems like much of Europe is going to have a very rough winter because they're going to have an inability to get natural gas to fuel their economy. Uh, do you think the politicians learn their lesson or do you think this is just a temporary blip where they see it as a, a road bump on the way to this green transition? <laughs> oh, I think they think it's a road bump on the way to this green transition. I mean, the EU in particular has definitely not given up this idea of green transition. I mean, they've you know come out and said, this is the reason, you know, what is happening right now is the reason we need to push harder with this. So um, they're definitely not giving up that sort of path. They're doubling down on it, right? When you're wrong, do more of it. <laughs> it's kind of their theory. So, um, you know, I definitely think they're in for, you know, I think they're in for a long haul and, and a lot of trouble. And it's almost difficult to think that this is completely due to ineptitude, right? I mean, I mean, everything seems a little too, you can't be making this many mistakes and have something not be on purpose somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole ESG narrative and uh the narratives coming out of the world economic forum by the end of of the decade you will own nothing and you'll be happy and 
Uh, there's right. nothing. And they seem hell bent on like making that happen right now <laughs> with these policies. Yeah. Going to make it's making it better. Right? You know, it's just poor choice after poor choice. Yeah. I mean, there's no better way to uh, get a populace desperate and have their hands out to the government than inciting an energy crisis that cascades into a food crisis that cascades into a currency crisis. I mean, there's. Yeah, exactly. there's and we're already, we're already kind of start, starting to see that civil unrest, right? We're already kind of seeing, seeing protests in Italy and uh, the Czech Republic, especially. Um, they had a huge protest, like 70,000 people. Uh, and now they're starting to backtrack kind of on, you know, that whole uh, sanctions on, <laughs> on Russia, right? We're kind of seeing them kind of pull back on that uh, a little bit. So, you know, we're kind of seeing a fracturing somewhat um, with Europe right now where, you know, France is, you know, starting to get wary of the whole sanction thing. You got the Czech Republic, you've got, um, you know, Italy's kind of got their thing going on. So, um, you know, it's obviously Germany and Brussels, Belgium, the you know, EU Commission is really driving this. But, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, starving, starving, hung, hungry, cold people tend to revolt. So you have to think if things get bad enough, they're going to have a problem on their hands. Yeah. No, and that's, what will be very interesting to see as the years pass, as we head toward 2025, is what does this restructuring global energy markets, the geopolitical landscape look like? So we have uh, one half of the equation, the Western world, uh, like you mentioned, Italy and others are beginning to say, hey, uh, we don't want to go down this path. And you're starting to see signs that they may reach out to Russia and say, hey, we're fine taking your gas. And then the other half of the equation, you have Russia, China, India, Iran, other players who are saying, hey, let's just completely uh, leave these guys behind and, and create our own market over here. What are, what are you seeing in terms of the, the chess pieces that are being moved in that regard? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the BRICS uh, nations, right, I mean, they're looking to expand. Even Saudi Arabia is talking about joining BRICS. And so, um, you know, there is a, a fracturing going on because, uh, you know, that sort of the, the Asia, um, Middle East, Asia sections are kind of like, you know, and you have to realize they have very different economies than we do as well. You know, when you're talking about um, more of those are emerging markets. I mean, Russia, obviously not so much, but, um, you know, they're not, they still need to move forward, right? So they're still looking for cheap energy. Um, and that's still, you know, coal and natural gas and, and oil. Um, even though prices are high right now, generally speaking, they are, you know, less than, you know, building out solar farms and wind farms. And besides that, you, you know, you can't have intermittent power sources as your base load. So if you want to bring your economy from an emerging market to, um, uh, to, to, you know, uh, DM market, then, you know, you're going to have to use those kind of resources because you got to get electricity to everybody. You got to get food to everybody. You got to get, right. Um, to kind of raise them out of, uh, of poverty and, uh, into a DM nation where we are, we're like the aging, 
<laughs> aging economies um, in the West, right? And so um, there's definitely a dichotomy between the two. Yeah, it's incredibly frustrating being an American citizen and watching the current administration just shoot ourselves, our future selves in the foot. I mean, we're relatively inoculated from everything going on in Europe right now, but that's one thing I don't think many people here in the States realize is that what's going on over there will will affect us in the form of a, of a credit crisis and broken down supply chains. Oh, absolutely. We'll have some sort of contagion problem. Plus the, the policies here where, you know, uh, oil and gas companies are being persecuted by this industry. I mean, this administration's given out like, I don't know, just over like 127,000 permits so far within the first two years. No administration has given out less than like 4 million. <laughs> so they're just not, you know, on one hand, they want you to produce more, but they're not giving you access to um, permits and land to do so. Yeah, but hey, there's already permits out there. We've There's already people that are uh, sitting on unused permits, so we don't need to issue anymore. <laughs> it's not how it works. <laughs> no. You need to have that backlog, right? I mean, I, you know, I've complained about, you know, as much as I, you know, I think Europe is nuts, um, you know, this administration is nuts as well. And it's really doing nothing to really help us move forward either. I mean, the new inflation reduction, just just call it the inflation plan. I mean, there's really nothing in there that's, you know, that's going to do much. Most of those things, are like, um, for instance, if you look at their policies towards like renewables where they, you can get tax credits and things like that for, for your EV, but you can only get credit if those things are made in America, right? So you can get a tax credit on batteries, but it has to be made in America. Well, we don't make a lot of batteries here. We don't have a lot of lithium mines here, right? So, you know, a lot of it is, you know, a lot of it is kind of like filler words, unless, you know, we can, you know, actually bring that manufacturing here, which would be fantastic. The problem is, is that nobody wants it in their backyard, right? We've been trying to, you know, Nevada's been trying to get a lithium mine open forever, um, Arizona, copper, and they're running up against, you know, the environmentalists and been in court for the last years. So. Are these people actually environmentalists though? Or are they simply Malthusian people who want to see the rest of us suffer? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. So again, going back to like this global restructuring of international energy markets, Let's dig into the relationship between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia, because it seems like that's souring a bit. You mentioned uh, that they're thinking about joining the BRICS countries. How big of a, of a pivot would this be, uh, not only for the U.S., but for the landscape of geopolitics and energy trade moving forward? Well, I think, I mean, the U.S. and Saudi Arabia have had a very, very long relationship, and I don't think that relationship is going away anytime soon. That said... Um, obviously, the relationship during this particular administration is very poor, comparatively speaking. And so, you know, Saudi Arabia, so you have to understand that, you know, um, you know, Iran is, you know, still an OPEC nation. Um, you've got Russia, who is an OPEC plus. 
Um, so they have a lot of ties to the right nations. Plus, they're in their backyard, right? I mean, those are the people that are in their backyard. So it just makes sense for them to form alliances. Um, you know, Saudi Arabia still has the biggest uh, refinery here, Motiba, in the U.S. So, you know, it's not like, you know, they'll always have that relationship and they still buy, you know, weapons from us. Um, we still buy oil from them. Uh, so, you know, again, I don't think that relationship's going away anytime soon, but, you, you know, when you see the destructive path the West is on, kind of energy-wise, you know, who, who are you going to align yourself <laughs> with, especially when your economy is built on oil and gas? <laughs> yeah. Ah. I mean, I, I tweeted it out earlier today. I think it's the time is nigh for people to overthrow the, the politicians and the unproductive class running all this policy in the West. Because, again, I've got two children sitting here thinking about they're young, they're two and three months old, how they're going to uh, grow into this world and what the world's going to look like when they're 10, 15, 20. I think it, it feels like, I mean, there's this... You can, uh, maybe we live in a bubble and just because uh, we cross paths on FinTwit and Bitcoin Twitter and people within those circles team turn, tend to understand the world uh, more granularly than, than your average Joe. But it, I, I do think even the average Joe is beginning, especially in Europe, to, to have these pangs, like something is terribly wrong here. Uh, we need we need to drastically fix something. Like I think we need to find a way to get these unproductive politicians out of our way and to let us just do what we need to do to, to make sure that we're energy secure and have uh, an abundant future moving forward, which is again, focusing here on North America between Canada, the U S and Mexico, if we wanted to, we could have a very vibrant independent energy sector, but there's just this inability when you consider all the regulations that exist in Canada and that are coming here to the United States. It's, it's completely baffling that we're sitting here and watching these people wreck not only our economy today, but future generations as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's very frustrating. But the hope that I have is that, you know, this, the pendulum's been swinging this way so hard, right? That <clears throat> they always swing back. So, you know, I'm hoping that that's kind of sooner than later because I think you know again when you start starving people out freezing people out they start to get mad hard you know hard times hard times create strong men apparently uh, yeah, it seems like exactly. <laughs> I mean we've had it easy so people don't understand though you know I do have hope that this will swing back the other way um because I, I don't even know how these people make it to office. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> how these people keep getting elected and, um, you know, why we just watch them make mistake after mistake, to be honest. Yeah, it's complacency. And people have been lulled into this false sense of reality where they believe, like, oh, to do anything on a grand scale, we need the government, we need the states to come right. in and do this, where you really don't. Uh, and again, the first time you were on, we talked about the intersection of Bitcoin mining and energy in the energy right. sectors. And I think it's a perfect example of uh, the mining industry beginning to 
uh, really stick its roots into the energy sector. Like nobody is really asking permission. Uh, we're just going, scooping up abandoned wells, plugging in generators, mining Bitcoin. Uh, a positive externality of that is you have less methane leak, but that's not really the reason people are doing it. They're doing it for cheap incentives. And um, that's what, again, it's just how do we get people to wake up and say, hey, we don't need these people to actually do what we need to do to create abundance. In fact, uh, they're probably significantly prohibiting us from from reaching that abundance. And uh, I w I'm curious to know if you had a magic wand for here in North America, what would you do to change energy policy in short order in Canada, well, the U.S. and I'd Mexico? Try every politician, first of all, you need less, you know, less less regulation. I mean, people are smart enough. Nobody wants to, you know, go out there and pollute the hell out of everything, right? I mean, everybody, uh, I think people are generally conscious enough that, you know, don't want to dump sewage in rivers and, <laughs> you know, leave oil spills and wells uncapped or, you know, be completely irresponsible about that. So, um, you know, I definitely think that, you know, you need less regulation and less people covering it. Put that back to the states. Get that Give that back to the states. Let each state kind of govern themselves. Because really, that's how it was initially supposed to happen, right? I mean, it was supposed to be each state, and you know, was above state laws were above federal law. The federal the federal government just kind of watch over everything, not to like get its hands in states' business. So I kind of think we need to to go back to that, right? And kind of look inward to you know our own communities and how we can help our own communities. Right. Completely agree in that. I mean, there are some uh, promising trends in that direction. The Supreme Court with their EPA versus West Virginia ruling really gives power back to the states to tell the EPA to screw off. Um, we're seeing states like Florida and Texas begin to, and Missouri begin to actively uh, tell the federal government to stay out of their business. And I think that's a trend that will only continue. And yeah, that's, I mean, I've tweeted recently, I think when it comes to oil and gas extraction specifically, uh, a lot of these states just need to say, no, we're not, we're going to drill. We're not listening to you. Um, we, we desperately need these resources in the economy and your policies don't make any sense. They're actually not going to lower prices. They're not going to make anybody more secure. And uh, uh, you can make a strong argument that there is no climate emergency. In fact, I think it's almost certain that we don't, live in a world in which there's a climate emergency humans are thriving uh the, the environment is fine and the world getting a little bit warmer there's a climate is changing climate changes uh every day every month every week uh decades centuries uh and to think that we're gonna just shoot ourselves in the foot as a society globally because of this this thermberg driven meme that the world is gonna is gonna boil if we don't stop using hydrocarbons uh, you know, I mean, it is always you know it, it keeps changing in the 70s it was the coming ice age right? so if we were all gonna die it was gonna be an ice age we we're all gonna freeze to death um, that didn't happen right now it's all we're gonna you know all burst into fiery hell which is not gonna happen either right I mean, um you know i i think it's too much Everybody's too doom and gloom. The world's gonna end tomorrow. What a disaster! I'm like, let's make tomorrow better instead of you know running around tell, telling everybody it. <laughs> well, 
Well, this is where I think the pendulum swings back rather aggressively is when people begin to realize that the policies enacted and pushed by the environmentalists and the climate hysterics actually end up killing more people than, quote unquote, the climate disaster ever would have. Well, exactly. Exactly. I mean, look at where we are with all of these green policies. The technology is just not there yet. As much as you want clean energy, I think that's great. Buy, go for nuclear. I mean, nuclear is great. It's very clean. And as far as energy density is concerned, that's where it's at. Nobody wants that either. Um, <laughs> you can't please these people. Um, but, the, you know, the, the route that we're taking right now, especially trying to use you know, wind and solar, watch hydrogen will be next. Watch, it'll be the next big thing that won't work either. Um, it, it, it's, you know, we're doing that, but we're capping ourselves at the knee on everything else. You can't just turn around and change tomorrow. Right? You can't just say, oh, we're going to go all solar tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> it also isn't feasible because it's intermittent power. But, um, you know, all of these policies have gotten to us exactly where Europe is in an energy crisis. Can you imagine, really? I mean, what you know, 2022, and we're talking, you might not be able to, you know, wash your hair tomorrow. <laughs> we don't have hot water. I mean, that's this is silly. This, these policies have led us to like literally rolling blackouts, and you know, I mean, we should be really far above that. We're taking a huge step back, and it's only because of the poor energy policies that the West has. Um, insisted on moving forward with that's actually bringing us back. <laughs> yeah, there's almost some sadistic poetic justice uh, coming out of California specifically, where they're where they're actively telling people not to charge their electrical vehicles <laughs> to to spare the grid. It's like, wait a second, this is the solution, and uh, you can't have people using it when when the uh, when the grid is stressed. We can't have any more ice vehicles. Are we going to plug them in? I don't know. We don't have any. <laughs> so, but focusing in on oil and gas specifically, which is your your bread and butter, right? to help the audience understand the opportunity cost that we're we're involved in right now. Like, what what is the potential? Like, what could we do if we didn't have these regulations? What could the world look like if we were able to actually invest in this infrastructure? Yeah, I mean, well, the one good thing about shale is is that um, you know it's made a lot of advancements, right? And the, the one of the good thing is is that, is that you can bring new wells online a lot faster than you can for something like um, you know an offshore deep ocean project, right? Because those projects take you know seven to ten years to really bring them from idea to where you're actually pumping. Um, so that's, you know, one of the great innovations about shale that you can do that, you know, in a year, a year and a half, you cut that time down to, you know, a third plus, you know, new technology, you know, new technology is always evolving in that to make things more efficient, better, cleaner. Um, the thing that I fear is that, you know, all these energy policies now that are kind of uh, <clears throat> demonizing the industry. It's going to cut a lot of technology um, off, right? Because firms are going to be like, well, nobody's going to be drilling anymore. So, you know, why, why, why advance new technology for these companies? You know, and so I think that 
that's one of the another one of the bad things. Another you know bad thing <clears throat> that we're also seeing kind of in the industry is that um, because of the ESG movement, which one could well, we'll get into that in a minute, but um, we're seeing um, you know lack of labor pool, right? Nobody's going to college and wants to get into this industry anymore. Right. They want to all go to ESG or whatever. So we're having, a, you know, real problem finding like the new generation to work in this, to work in this industry and kind of bring them up in this industry. So that's that's also a problem. But I mean, yeah. but there's so much opportunity there. If we, you know, if we just didn't have these regulations, we could do it, you know, and we could pursue these. I mean, there's so many jobs to be had. Because you have to think when, sure, you know, when, this is what people don't think about is all the peripheral jobs you have. So say you go to, into, go to into, you know, go, you want to build a bunch of wells somewhere out in the middle of, I don't know, nowhere, right? So what has to come? You know, you need technology there. You need to build restaurants. You need to build uh, places for people to live. You need car dealerships. You need, you know, you can build whole towns uh, around these places, which, you know, is a thriving environment and a ton of jobs. Yeah, that's, I mean, we're beginning to see it already, particularly uh, with drilling teams. It's one of the underlying trends that I've been observing behind the scenes, speaking with a lot of people who are drilling upstream is they can't actually get a drilling team on site to drill the wells. So there's a lot of people who are ready to drill, but there simply is enough uh, equipment or talent to, to bring these wells online. So I think, you know, we can think that, pursue that more. But uh, on the ESG factor, the one good thing that we're seeing right now is kind of ESG is kind of falling out of favor in the financial world. Like we're seeing a bunch of funds. I mean, first of all, they all those funds charge a premium and all those managers that manage ESG funds always charge a premium because everybody wants it, right? But they're underperformers um, and they're expensive. And they all had baskets of, you know, if you actually look in, to one of those ETFs, I mean, there's a bunch of oil in there. <laughs> there's a, just a bunch of random companies that are not, you know. ESG. Raytheon is the SG now. Oh, I think you, you know what I mean. <laughs> you think that's ridiculous. But the good thing is, we're actually seeing ETFs now dropping ESG from their name, right? And because they're being underperformers, so we're kind of starting to see a backlash. I and mean, we even had, you know, um, Jamie Dimon came out just the other day and he's like, we need to be drilling oil and gas, which is kind of a complete turnaround because JPM was one of the banks that was like, we're not going to fund these projects anymore, you know, along with BlackRock and Goldman. Um, so perhaps we are seeing, I'm going to, you know, bring some bright notes into this. So perhaps we are seeing kind of a glimpse of, um, of a change. And I think what will really help us, um, at least in the financial world, is we really start seeing kind of banks change, right? Because if we want to get these projects up and running, they also need funding. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's hilarious that all these people are, are turning on a dime right now as things <laughs> get ahead. It's now, well, and, you know, I mean, mostly I would say, you know, we're seeing that in the US. EU, I have to say, is still diehard anti oil and gas. Um, but we are seeing kind of a change here in, in, in the States, which is promising to me. Yeah, no, it is promising to see. And so if you're in oil and gas, like what, what has been 
like a contrarian play in the space throughout the last couple of years that you think is going to pay off as, as this ESG meme begins to die. Cause I think it is dying. It's inevitably not profitable and doesn't make any sense from, from a human flourishing perspective. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. So, you know, I still think, and I've been pounding on the table on this for years on, you know, us net gas, because I always said that it's perfect, perfect transition fuel because it's clean burning, but you know, more so than say oil, right? It's cheap, it's abundant. Um, I mean, it's not so cheap right now, <laughs> but, but you know, uh, but with cheap and abundant, you know, and you, can, you know, I, th- I think it's a perfect transition fuel for especially like emerging markets, especially in Africa, um, nation, in, you know, nations in Africa and such. Um, so, you know, I've been, you know, vested in not gas companies, you know, especially ones that have access to distribution centers, you know, either via pipeline or that kind of own, you know, produce and, own, you know, have their own distribution center. And now that, you know, and now, now that it seems like the EU is, you know, can like cut themselves out at the knee um, as far as Russia is concerned, <laughs> because they're going to enact price caps. Um, really, you know, the market's really tight in Asia right now. Um, and so, you know, the U.S. is really the only place that you can go right now. I mean, if you look at Nigeria wants to produce more, but they would technically speaking can't. I mean, they have big dreams, but they had a lot of problems with, you know, aging equipment and theft. Um, so I think right now, you know, and if you look at somebody like Algeria, Algeria, Spain's getting a lot of gas from Algeria. But, you know, Russia has a big hand in Algeria. So um, I don't know how much more, you know, it'll take a lot of negotiation, I guess, to get them to send more to the EU. But back to the United States is uh, the United States is really the only place they can go right now. So I expect, you know, the U.S. to pick up. I mean, the U.S. has already picked up a lot of that business that, you know, during that shift away from Russia. But. You know, I think they'll pick up some more. So, you know, I've been definitely, you know, pro U.S. gas for quite a few, you know, last five five years or so. And then, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity in general just starting investment because, you know, over the last probably seven years or so, I mean, we saw a lot of mergers and acquisitions. We saw a lot of bankruptcies. You know, so I think that, you know, kind of the people, the ones that are still standing are solid at this point just because the the rest kind of went away <laughs> yeah and the and the LNG is becoming a huge topic now too, because as the European countries lose access to Nord Stream One and Nord Stream Two, and they can't get the the gas, they're they're now turning to LNG providers. And so, is the infrastructure in Europe uh, ready to actually supercharge an LNG market? Yeah, not yet. I mean, they still need to uh, they still need to build out facilities. And they have big goals so like twenty. They're hoping by twenty twenty four. But, you know, I would say that's probably going to take longer than they think to build out those storage facilities because they, they just don't have them, um, which means we'll probably see a lot more, um, you'll see a lot more uh, spot cargoes and things, and things of that nature um, because they just don't have 
they just don't have the storage. They want to build out the storage, which is great, but I just think it's going to take a couple more years than they anticipate. But at least they, they are thinking about it and they are they do have that plan. So, so one good yeah. No, that's another thing with the Biden ministry of like the EQTs, or not EQT, um, Toby Rice's company, the name's escaping me, the, nat the largest natural gas provider in the U.S. They want to build more LNG exporting plants, but they're having problems at the government level as well. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, they're getting kicked in the teeth with constantly with this administration, right? I mean, there was just a lawsuit with LNG, um, Chenier, right? They, uh, they just got, um, their permit just got struck down for their turbines at their distribution facility center. Um, so, you know, I mean, it ease up on this permit thing. Yeah, no, I was correct. It is EQT. I had to double check there. It was, uh, but <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. what else, like in terms of shifting the narrative back towards abundance, I know the first time you were on, we discussed Bitcoin mining in oil and gas fields, and it's been a couple of years, I believe, since since you last been on the show. And so, have you been paying attention to that trend? Um, are you are you uh, bullish on it? Well, what do you think about? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's you know, I follow you, so I see what you have to say. <laughs> but no, no, I think it's a great trend, and I think that's you know, um, I I think that it. It's going to take more creativity what we can do with those um, those wells and things like that i mean aside from just bitcoin mining too right i mean i think we can get really creative i think we should if people follow the bitcoin mining thing and it's successful i think people will start thinking of other ideas right that we can use um kind of those you know those wells that are kind of just sitting there that are that are tapped right and so i think you know um people just need to see like one example of something that works really well that's really successful and then we can think oh yeah you know i bet we could invest in this doing whatever i don't have an idea yet off of the top of my head but <laughs> But I'm sure there's a lot, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of ideas out there. There's a lot of entrepreneurs out there. There's a lot of smart people out there. And so, you know, I think if they can get more interest in using those wells, not just for traditional, say, you know, not gas or you know, oil drilling, but, um, and, you know, I think that, that that'll be a really positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people talking about like gene splice or like the, algorithmic gene splicing data centers and, and uh, AWS needs high uptime. So they probably aren't like ideal for, for off-grid stuff. But you know, I think the, the simple application of going and finding these abandoned orphan wells and using the gas and then plugging in on the back end is just a win overall. If you really are an environmentalist and right. want to clean up all the waste uh, throughout throughout the United States, I mean, there's no lower hanging fruit than going and finding all these abandoned wells. Well, exactly, exactly. And so, so I'm, you know, I think there's a lot of ideas out there. I think there's you know, a lot of entrepreneurship. And I think it literally takes a lot of, you know, a lot more education and, you know, explaining things to people because 
you know, everybody's this last generation or two almost, it's been, yeah, the last generation, all they heard is this is horrible. This is horrible. This is horrible. This is horrible. So they don't know anything else, but this is horrible. Right. And so, um, you know, I think it's up to us to kind of spread the knowledge. Right. Yeah. Not only spread the knowledge and, I think like Bitcoin mining as a mechanism to leverage all these wasted uh, energy sources is a great application. But then what does Bitcoin mining actually secure? It secures this peer to peer digital cash system that cannot be controlled by any one government or coalition of governments, which many could argue that this is why the world finds itself uh, in the place that it does today with the weaponization of SWIFT and um, bank reserves against Russia. Uh, I, I think the Bitcoin narrative is twofold. Number one, in the energy sector, you have that ability to leverage these wasted resources. But then number two, uh, in terms of international trade of these energy assets, you just create a much more level playing field in terms of the settlement system that you're using to to conduct this trade so you're not really beholden to a petrodollar system or the whims of the west and what they want to do with their monetary system and so actually i think bitcoin is the most peaceful path forward in terms of uh, reducing the amount of friction we see on the international stage when it comes to trading energy assets and then um weaponizing monetary systems yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, we're already seeing, uh, you know, we're already seeing a kind of a, you know, a fracturing away from SWIFT from, you know, other countries like, um, you know, Russia starting the mirror system, or has the mirror system, it's just not widely used, which is their version of SWIFT, but, you know, a lot more people are kind of joining that. So we do have this, um, kind of this split. Um, that said, um, you know, Obviously, 100% better would be something completely out of state control, right? Completely out of the state's hand because, you know, uh, look at CBDC, but they're all going to, you know, have, have central bank digital currencies and they're going to control your life even more so than they already do, which is completely the most frightening thought ever. So if that doesn't scare you enough to kind of want to turn into your own banker, I don't know, right? Yeah, I mean, you just escaped Canada. Canada doesn't even have a CBDC yet, and the amount of control <laughs> they have over it. <laughs> and they're confiscating your bank accounts. I mean, it was nuts. You have no idea. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. So, what was it? Um, so, what, what what has your life been like the last few years, and why did you decide to finally? get out it, it was crazy there i was actually not there for the trip i think i i moved well i moved back to this i finally just found a place to live but i moved back in uh february um but you know i mean it just was becoming increasingly increasingly more government control right i mean they had all these internet laws where you know they can go after you now if they you know find out that you posted something that's they don't like they can literally go out after you for hate speech or whatever and go to jail for it <laughs> um so it's just those like it was like those inter little steps and then when COVID hit forget it it was like all out 
and now they have the excuse to, you know, do whatever they wanted to do with government control. I mean, we were locked, literally locked down for two years. I mean, we had a curfew. You couldn't step off your lawn after 8 p.m. or you get, could get arrested. I mean, like, well, like how... How, this is perplexing for me as an American looking north and seeing how like, obviously <laughs> Justin Trudeau is like a robot. Like, how do people put up with him? Like, how has he not been? Like, can you impeach a president? Like, are people happy with what he's doing? I think what <clears throat> I think is what you know how Canada is is they really believe that government is for the good of them. We are the government. We're here to take care of you, right? <clears throat> because they've never really, you know, never had like big rebellions. They've never had, you know, very different from the states in that way. Um, so they actually think most people, not everybody, obviously, but a lot of people there think, actually think the government's doing this to take care of me and the government knows better than me, right? I and mean, they're already kind of socialist anyway, but you know, socialist healthcare system, things like that. So it's kind of, you know, I think it's just their nature is very different than say, uh, people from the United States. We're very, we're very rebellious kind of people. Just by I'm waiting for, do you, do you see any future in which Alberta rises up and says, hey, we're, we're done with you, Quebec, and um, we're, we're going think, to leverage you know, our oil thought, resources. We're gonna yeah. stick up for our rights. I think you're already starting to see it, especially like in Alberta. I mean, there is a very big split between the West and the East. The problem is, is that most people live in either Ontario or in Quebec. And so, and they're very liberal and left-leaning. So um, <clears throat> there goes, you know, they kind of run the country basically. But, you know, I think you're starting to see the West, especially again in Alberta, Saskatchewan kind of, I think you're seeing a little more of the rebel side. I mean, look at the, you know, look at the truckers, right? That was huge for Canada. Yeah, that uh, that trucker rally got me on Tucker Carlson uh, because uh, they froze all the banker, all the bank accounts, excuse me, and they had to turn to Bitcoin to raise money. And I had to go on Tucker and explain why Bitcoin actually works in that situation. So... Shout out to the tru truckers for getting me on Tucker. All uh, right. But there you go. The, uh, no, actually, I got really emotional because, you know, just not used to it. I really did. Even though I wasn't there, I was like, this is so great. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I think that, uh, thank God for the Canadian truckers. I, I do think they did instill some confidence in other uh, blue collar workers across the world. Obviously, we've seen the farmers rally. Uh, in Netherlands and in Poland, all across Europe, uh, the the common man is actually doing the hard work. Again, that's another reason I've really been trying to meme this this concept of the unproductive class, the people who run governments or live in coastal cities and do like Excel pushing jobs that actually don't produce the things that make the economy go around. Uh, trying to nasal navel gaze at the people doing the hard work that make our modern reality actually possible. Right. Uh, I, I really. <laughs> Who makes the economy run? The guys drilling oil, the guys driving trucks, the guys, you know, um, 
out there and you know boats shipping everything and this this is that's who runs the economy right so um you gotta you know i think our problem is one of the big problems is in you know the u.s government everybody's you know everybody's like a lifetime politician right they've all done nothing else except for be a politician so they're completely out of touch with you know their constituency yeah and then you just use the heuristic like anybody who's actually productive would never want to be a politician. So the politicians are only like psychopathic sociopaths who want to have power over people and not actually produce. We need, we need term limits. And like somebody under 80 would be nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're getting ready for another Trump, uh, Trump election season here. It's like, this guy's 84. I know, Our current Current president can't even make a sentence. Let's kick these people out, all of them. Yeah. Well, again, going back to like the states' rights thing, I don't know if you followed uh, my beating of this drum over the last couple of years, but again, I really am bullish on states turning around to the federal government, giving them the finger and saying, leave us alone. Again, going back to Bitcoin mining, I think we should start Bitcoin mining permanent funds. States like Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Kentucky, with all these you know, rich natural gas resources, should simply like issue muni bonds, raise some cash, buy some miners, partner with a mining company, go to their abandoned wells, tap them open, mine Bitcoin with them, pay back the muni bond holders, and then roll any profits into a permanent fund above that. And then you get to a point where you build that up over the course of many years and the federal government comes to you and says, Hey, if you don't do this, you're not getting this money. You can turn it around and say, Hey, I've got this permanent fund. I actually don't need your money. So please okay. fuck off. Leave <laughs> us alone. I love it. I think it's a fantastic idea. Yeah. It's, we need to meme this uh, into reality, Tracy. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm gonna, I'll hit it with you. I'll do it. I'll help you. <laughs> I like it. I really like the idea. Actually, I think it's brilliant. Because really, I mean, you're, you're always going to be beholden to the government if you're going to ask them for a handout, right? And that's kind of what they want, right? I mean, you know, yeah. That just gives them more and more power over you. Well, that's like the very interesting situation we find ourselves in now. Like, do you think we could be seeing the beginning of a hyperinflationary crisis in Europe that leads to a credit crisis here in the United States. And like, while we're like, how do we get away from this? How do we get away from this? Like, is the, the nation state model as it's comp currently erected, built on a house of cards of debt, is it imploding on itself? Like, do, do you see a scenario in which these governments actually fail? Absolutely. I think we're going to, I think we're, we're going we're gonna to have a huge problem. I would watch, you know, I would watch FX right now because I think we're, you know, with the dollar so strong right now, we're starting to see cracks. I mean, it'll be big again, right? We're at 144, 145. Um, the dollar is way too strong right now. Emerging markets are going to hit. So I think where the crisis is going to start, I think it's going to be a currency crisis first is where, where that's going to start. And that's going to bring down the house. Potentially, hopefully not, but you know, it's not for, that far gone to think that it would. Yeah, I mean, you have the euro trading at parity or below parity with the dollar, which is insane. Exactly. <clears throat> exactly. I, I don't think it's near close. Done yet. Look at Europe's a disaster. 
So I think that could easily go lower. Yeah, and they're all going to be forced to exacerbate the problem because the only mechanism by which they know how to like try to solve these problems is just to print more or get more handouts, which is just going to, you can't, like we said earlier, you can't print money and produce natural gas. It's not how it works. You're simply going to drive more currency units at scarcer and scarcer supply side assets. Exactly. Exactly. But that's all, you know, that's all they know how they go. It's boom and bust, right? They, you know, print a bunch of money, you have a booming, booming economy, right? Put that in quotes. Um, you know, and now that, and then now, you know, they're going to try to hike us into a recession. And then they'll, you know, as soon as we get into too big of a recession, then they'll have to print again. It's a vicious cycle. We've been doing it for years. <laughs> well, that's another interesting part around like the Orwellian dystopian uh, language around this. Have you, have you noticed the trend of people at the Federal Reserve and at the ECB beginning to like try to meme the term growth recession into, yes. into the minds of people? <laughs> You're like, that might solve plan B. Growth recession. It's not going to be about right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the growth, the growth recession uh, line is particularly nefarious because there's like, hey, we need to cool down the economy so that we can heat it back up and get people like Larry Summers and others coming out and calling for anywhere between five and 10% unemployment, completely neglecting to address the fact that there would be mass suffering if, if that happened right now. And when, especially when you consider the financial straits that many American citizens and European citizens alike find themselves in like your average. I mean, after American time, has no yeah, savings. Of, you know, two years of, you know, lockdowns. I mean, it wasn't as bad in the U.S., but still, you know, how many businesses went out, uh, you know, out of business? How many, you know, small businesses never, you know, came back? If you crush the economy again, how many businesses are, you know, not going to come back? I mean, already today, Germany, Schultz was, you know, talking about, yes, we're, a lot of businesses are going to have to shut down this winter, but it's not permanent, right? Once you shut down a business, the chances of it coming back up are, you know, one to two percent. So, I mean, it's already happened. That and flatten the curve. I literally had PTSD all morning. Yeah. Well, and then, I mean, it's extremely sad because, especially in the UK, over the last couple of weeks, you've had um, a lot of small business owners and individuals get their electricity bill, which seemed to be variable from month to month, and. A lot of people are waking up like, holy crap, like if this persists for, for two or three months, I'm not going to have a business. Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, those are all floating around Twitter. They're shocking. I mean, they're re even worse than, than the EU. So um, we'll see. I'm, I have a glimmer of hope for the UK. A glimmer. Glimmer. Yeah, you always, we got to stay out as optimistic as possible. You know, but we got to focus on, you know, we got to focus on the U.S. so we don't get that bad first. I mean, right. we're at the point where we could actually save ourselves. We're not, you know, completely down the hole yet. You know, we're at the point where we can just stop thinking and we'll be okay ish. I mean, I. I know like the bet, the way out of it where we don't keep digging is deregulate and just let people drill and, um, actually invest in this infrastructure and embolden oil and gas industry specifically like hey you guys are doing a good thing 
um, we are very thankful that you're providing us with our modern day uh, lifestyle. That is a solution. How do we get there? Do we need a movement of citizens standing up and demanding, hey, we need to stop shooting ourselves in the foot? Do you think um, uh, something happens politically? Do you think the failure of ESG leads these people to wake up? Like, how do we actually make this so we don't shoot ourselves in the foot anymore? I think we need to do it. We, the people, need to stand up and and do it, right? um, Think locally, because uh, by the time people start, you know, revolting, usually it's too late. So we need to start, you know, with the grassroots movement, <laughs> literally, you know, and really start educating people and get out there and, you know, try to, try to change things. Hopefully, you know, if you do it at the local level and then go out, you know, from your individual communities to then your city to then your state, um, you know, I think that that sort of organic growth is a lot easier than trying to tackle the federal government right away. Do you know what I mean? If you're just going straight to the top, I think I think if you have some more organic growth, I think that movement um, could be much more peaceful and better, and you know, kind of go go from the inside out instead of trying from the top down. Yeah, and I, again, yeah, Bitcoin can help here. You just go to local counties. So that's like in northern Tennessee, I have a company, we're buying up a bunch of these stranded natural gas wells, and we essentially go to the farmers where a lot of these wells exist, and they've just been sitting there for decades, not doing anything. We say, hey, what if we pay your land lease, and we actually come on onto your land and use your natural gas, and maybe we'll even give you some of the Bitcoin um, for letting us use your land. And they love it. They're like, all right, you're taking a cost for getting use out of this. And then they go to the county and say, hey, this is actually good. You're reducing methane leak, um, and then you, you, get, you get a good local reputation there. So that's on the Bitcoin mining side of things, and that's another great thing. I'm not sure if you've caught this trend, but the Beef Initiative, where uh, there's a, a grassroots movement on the farming side of things, where uh, there's people really, uh, myself included, encouraging others to go stop buying your, your beef directly from the grocery store and go meet your farmer, shake his hand, and figure out how you can help him. Um, because again, another part of this energy crisis is the food crisis that comes after it. And uh, tr- uh, trying to front run that is, uh, is extremely important. No, it's really good. And then you cut out those, you know, cause a lot of those costs are because there's very few meat processors, right? And so they jack up prices, whatever they want. If you can cut that middleman out, it's better for the farmer and it's better for you, right? So. I and the beef tastes good. better. I've been talking about that for for a while. Um, actually, yeah. so, you know, make, make friends with your local farmer, butcher, find one. You know, I mean, you know, I know somebody in you know Oklahoma who ships, <laughs> so that works perfect. <laughs> yeah, go shake, go shake your local rancher's hand, freaks, um, yeah. if you haven't already. Tracy, we're getting to the top of the hour here. I want to thank you for coming on. Is there anything on the top of your mind that you think the freak should be aware of as we wrap up here in the context of energy, credit markets, currency markets, whatever it may be? Yeah, well, I want to wrap. I mean, uh, there's a lot of bad things going on right now, but, you know, I kind of want to wrap up by saying I think it's better. Definitely keep your eye on the currency markets because I really think that's where everything is going to start cracking first, and that's how you're going to know. 
it's when you st start seeing some, you're just seeing like straight up moves in like the yen and the dollar and whatever. But when that starts cracking, you're going to see a ton of volatility and it's going to get nuts. That's, you know, that's going to be, I think, you know, one of your, one of your first clues that stuff is going down into, uh, you know, kind of a, make sure your stuff, your house is in order <laughs> just in case, because it's going to happen. You know, the credit crisis is definitely happening in Europe before, before it happens in the United States. But um, I think that, that'll be your first, first clue. And then, um, uh, you know, again, you know, if you, you know, we all want to get out there, we want to change things for the better. So, you know, get local and with your, you know, with your neighbors, with your people, with, you know, and, uh, Grow, grow your group organically there because, you know, right now voting people in or out of the federal government, it's not really doing it right now. <laughs> no, it is not the way. You know, I, would, I, would, I would encourage you to vote and vote for every, you know, office. But I think really kind of the organic growth of the movement that we're talking about here today, I think really starts on the local level. Yes. Go shake your neighbor's hand too. I'm here. I'm here in a small town. This is our noon bell. The, uh, the kids know it's lunchtime now. Um, but the uh, no, I agree. Go shake your neighbor's hand. Go shake your rancher's hand. Think local. And another thing I want to encourage you guys, you have power. Speak up. If you see uh, this trend that is taking down Europe right now, coming to the United States, you don't want to come here, speak up. Tell your local uh, county commissioner, tell your state representative, write your senator at the federal level, say, hey, we do not want this to come to the United States. Uh, we need to to act completely differently. Everybody thinks somebody else is going to do it, so then nobody ends up doing it. You know what I mean? So, you know, take the, take the initiative and don't think, oh, somebody else can take care of it, right? Take, take care of it. It takes two seconds to write an email to, you know, your local representatives or to your senator. If not you, then who? If not you, then who? Get off your ass. <laughs> you don't even have to get off your ass. Probably listening you to this. Right? You just have to sit at your computer, which you do every day anyway. So there you go. Hit Command T. Open up a new tab and, and search for your local representative. Um, you Tracy, it's a pleasure. I'm glad to see that you have escaped Canada and you are in safer pastures. Uh, hopefully, now that you're in this. <laughs> if you're ever in Texas, let me know. Uh, particularly okay. Austin, we can we can do this in person. Perfect, love it. Awesome. Well, Thanks I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Yep, you too. All right, peace and love, freaks. Okay.